Good morning. It's uh, great to be here this morning. Good for me to welcome you here. I'm Reg Taves, the transitional lead pastor here at Forest Grove Community Church. Welcome to Attridge this morning. Those of you who are watching online, it's great to have you here with us this morning as well, and we hope that you can engage with us online, engage in the chat if you can. That would be great. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn to Psalm 16. And if you don't, like open your app, whatever you normally use to read the Word, just I encourage you to get there right away. We're going to read it very quickly this morning. Psalms, uh, which is a series that we're in uh, for the summer, as as we're looking at the writers of Psalms, uh, and they experienced God in various ways. It's really like writing about life experience. How many of you journal? Anybody journals? A few of you do. Okay, good. I, I, do, I have from time to time. I don't do it all the time. I found it extremely helpful to journal, uh, just to write things down, to process things in a way, for me at least, that works. And hopefully you're finding a way as you live life and experience different things that you're in, engaging with what God is teaching you through that. And that's what the Psalms is really all about. So let's read Psalm 16 together this morning. I'm reading from the NIV version. Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. I say of the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will pour out libations of blood to such gods or take up their names on my... I will not, I should say, I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure. Because, I, you, will, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Hear the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, as we explore and look into this text this morning, we invite your Holy Spirit's presence who is here to speak to us this morning. Lord, I pray that this word would be living and active today. Father, I pray that the posture of our hearts as we watch or as we sit and listen would be one of openness to hear from you for what you want to say to us. For we know that you are here and you want to speak to us this morning. And you will as we are ready. For we pray this in your name and for your glory, Jesus. Amen. In verse 11, this psalm ends with the idea of the path of life. And I just want to pick up that particular theme this morning and talk about the path of life. You will notice um, there's a picture that should come up on the screen here of the West Coast Trail. 
And if you look at that picture, it looks like, oh yeah, you know, it's kind of wet and it's beautiful and I, I want you to know that anything that looks wet on the West Coast Trail, because I've hiked it, is slippery. And I guarantee you that that is the minority. That is not what it normally looks like. So often it looks easy, but there were sections when we did it, there's always sections of the boardwalk that was broken, and there were times where we had to navigate muddy sections, and at one point, uh, as I'm standing at the end of a boardwalk, and there's sort of broken about 20 feet, and then there's another section of boardwalk, it's like, this looks muddy, and um, so I was hiking this with my daughter, and I'm carrying about a 35-pound pack on my back. She has probably a 30. So she steps into this and goes in about up to her knee in the mud and then gets through it. And I thought, well, I'm not going there. That's a bad spot. And next to it, there was a, tr there was a limb. It was probably about that big around, so maybe three inches around. And I thought, I'll step on the limb, and that, if, you know, that way it'll, it'll support my weight. I stepped out onto that limb, and I went into the mud up to here. With 40, like 35 pounds, I'm like, now what do I do? <laughs> and so crawled out, and we finished hiking the day and basically covered in mud. So it's not easy. So the path of life isn't always easy. And I just want to share that with you, that as we look at the, the path of life, sometimes we see the direction that we're going, but we don't know what's around the corner. And so we're, we're depending on God. And so today as we explore David's psalm of walking with God, we will look at five attitudes to start with that guide our path along with God's providing and pointing forward to Jesus. So we're going to unpack five attitudes and then we're going to look at a section of this text that points us forward to Jesus. Now if you looked at this particular psalm, it will say something interesting like a miktam of David. And you're like, what in the world is that? It's not language we use. It's not actually an English word that we would use at all. There are six Psalms of David that are called miktams, and they all refer to times in David's life where he was rejected. So you wouldn't, if you read that Psalm, you'd go, it doesn't sound like rejection. He's, he's always processing it in a particular way. But I would point you to times where David would have felt rejected. For example, he was rejected by Saul. So Saul was the king at the time, and David had been anointed as the next king and was keeping that sort of to himself. But Saul would, had David come and join his entourage. And there were times where Saul, uh, there's, you know, two times at least, where Saul would th threw a spear at David to try to kill him. That sounds like rejection to me. Somebody's trying to kill you. It's sort of like, yeah, that's pretty serious rejection. There were times in his life as he was older, as he was the king, where his sons decided that they wanted to be king. And so there was a time where he had to run away from his palace and take whoever he could with him and leave people behind and wondered if his life would be spared. So he understood rejection. So these miktams were all written in that particular frame of reference. And the word miktam can mean this, to engrave or to cover. So I would suggest to you he's writing this as a remembrance following a difficult experience. So he's processed the experience. Now he's writing, this is what I've learned 
from my difficult experience. So let's look at these five attitudes of walking with God that he shows us in this text. The first one is what's our attitude or what was his attitude toward God himself? Verses 1 and 2. He talks about, he, asks, he starts with this petition, God keep me safe. Keep me safe. And I think in, he's almost saying like you have kept me safe, but I know that for the future I need you to continue to keep me safe. You're the one I depend on. And so there's this petition to say help me. All of us may fear the unknown. That just may be something normal for us, to fear the unknown. We don't know where our path will lead. As followers of Jesus Christ, we know the destination, but that journey is still unknown. And David starts this psalm with this wonderful petition. My attitude toward God is, God, I need you to be with me. I need you to rescue me. I need you to save me. What a great way for you or I to start each day, to think about those words, to say, what happened? We just said, keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. Now, that doesn't mean that God is going to just make life easy. It doesn't mean that all those boardwalks are going to be built. It means that we're going to have to take a risk of the unknown and saying, God, you're with me. That's what I know for sure. That is the security. The unknown, the unknown is where God is, and he wants to be present with us. David is writing about that. In verse 2, David now leans into what's his attitude toward God. And I, this is, if you listen to this in the English language, it sort of doesn't make sense. But let me read it to you in a way that hopefully will make more sense to us. So it says, I say to the Lord, and that's, of course, it's capitalized, L-O-R-D, which means Yahweh. So I say to Yahweh. So think about that. What's, who's Yahweh? Yahweh is I am, the creator, the sustainer, the provider. So he starts with that. I say to the one who has made me. I say to the great I am. You are my Adonai. You are the one who leads me. You are my Lord. Apart from you is no good thing. There's this attitude that David says toward God. He starts with, in the path of life for him, his attitude toward God is one of thankfulness and dependence. And I would suggest to us this morning, that's where we need to be. To live into that attitude of thankfulness and dependence. God, you are present. You are with us. And on the path of life, when the unknown hits us, we start there. So that's the first attitude. We could just end there, couldn't we? That would be a great place to end. But let's continue. Let's, what else does he say? So he, David shares what's his attitude, what could be our attitude toward God's people in verse 3. He, he uses this thing, I say, in both of the Lord, and now he says of God's people. He says his attitude toward those who journey with him on the same path is what is what is that attitude? He calls them things. He says, the holy people. In the New Testament, we have that language. He talks about the saints. Now, does that mean, well, like, look at us. We're, we've got it together. I want to hang out with all the perfect people. It's like, I actually don't like hanging out with perfect people. They make me feel bad because they've got it all together, and I don't. So I like to hang out with people that are willing to, you know, show their scars 
and say where they're broken and say, walk with me and journey with me. And so that's what, I think that's what David is saying. Just the people who are, have the same, the first attitude toward God, thankfulness and dependence. Now the second attitude toward God's people is, is joy and acceptance. He calls them noble ones. And he says he puts his delight in them. What a positive expression. Realize again, the context is David had had difficult experiences with people. But he didn't focus on that. He looked at the people who had supported him, who had walked with him, who had cared for him, and said, my attitude toward those folks is I delight in them. I delight in them. Notice what he doesn't say about those folks. He doesn't say... He depends on them. So, so too often we, we kind of go, I, I need these people around me to, to prop me up. And David is saying, no, no, that's God's role. But these people encourage me because they care for me. And so we live in dependence on God together with others and celebrate that together to delight in them. What a great attitude I'd ask, I ask myself, what's my attitude toward people in, uh, you know, that walk with me in this journey of life? What's my attitude toward those of us who, who say we're followers of Jesus? Sometimes we can get embittered, frustrated, angry. And God says, David says to us, and so God says to us in his word, what's our attitude toward them? Our attitude should be delighting in them. That can be hard, but it's what we're called to do. The next attitude is found in verse 4. It's our attitude or David's attitude towards sin. Now, sin isn't a very popular word these days, but I'm going to use it because I think it's in the Bible, and the Bible is the living and active word of God, and so we're going to say it. So what is, because maybe we need to define what sin is. Sin isn't like, you know, a list of bad behaviors. Sin is actually rejection of God's way in my life. God calls us to to be certain people. God calls us to receive Jesus, to walk with him, to to seek to live out our life for him, and he empowers us by the Holy Spirit. And so when we sin, we just reject that way. We reject that path. So we choose a path. And David is saying, I'm going to choose a different path than some. There are some, he says, that depend on other gods, small g. I would suggest to us this morning that that's like coping, ways of coping with life and living life out. So we can choose not to follow God's way. We can choose to follow our own way. We can choose to follow the ways of of the world around us. That's a choice that we all get to make. And David is saying, no, no, I, I don't want to follow that way. And why not? Because as he looks at them, as he's examining what he's seeing, he says this, they suffer more and more. So the, it, the path that they chose may have looked easy to start with. Looked like, oh, we can do this. And yet as David looks at it, he sees that the path that was easy to start with leads to hardship and brokenness. And he's saying, I'm not going down that path. I'm going to choose a different way. And the same thing is true of us, is that we can choose our path every day. Every day I get to actually choose what direction do I want to go. 
Do I want to walk toward God or do I want to walk away from Him? In every moment of every day, I get to make that choice. And so I want to continue to walk in that attitude. In David's day, there were many gods, like actual physical representations. We don't have kind of the same things as in our world. I mean, in this particular culture, in North America, in Canada, in Saskatoon, we don't have that kind of thing in the same way. But I would suggest to you this morning that we do have gods, that we do have gods that want to distract us from the living God. So it would be anything that you or I were to worship put ahead of God. Anything that we would put ahead of God. So we may choose to worship our status, whatever that might be. We might choose to worship the number of followers that we have on social media. We might be looking at Instagram or TikTok to feed us, to feed our ego, and that can be a God. We're going to look at some other things that I I think I believe that David points out that could easily be gods for us in our culture today. But David helps us here to focus on God alone and not to put the emphasis on things that divide our loyalties, but to say God is first. And out of that, we serve and we love and we care and we, we uh, provide and we lead. So our attitude towards sin. The next attitude here is found in verses 5 and 6, which is our attitude, I'm saying this, it's our attitude towards stuff, the material things of this world. God provides all that we have. Look at how he says it. He says it to, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. And that, like the, he's just saying, God, you are the one. You have given me everything that I have. Verse 6, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. You can just see he's looking around at everything. Maybe he's sitting in his palace as he's writing this and he's saying, God, you have provided all of this. And it's wonderful. Thank you. So as we look at his attitude towards stuff, this is where I would, I would want to encourage me and encourage you is to understand and to walk in this, in, this, in this concept, this attitude of God has provided everything I have. I've had, I've had people come to me and say, no, 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 I'm, I did this. I worked hard. I did all of this. Like, yeah, but who provided you with energy and strength and brains? And was that God or did that just sort of a biological thing that happened? David's attitude is, no, this is God. God has provided everything. So out of this attitude towards sin, he says he pays attention to his dependence on God. So using language like my portion, my cup, my lot is secure. Again, focusing on when he looks at all the stuff that he has, he says, this is God. Thank you, God. You have provided it. And you've provided it in abundance. So his attitude toward all that he had is a thankfulness toward God for provision. Now, if God has given it to him and has given everything that we have to us, what's our response? What's our attitude toward him? It is this, that we are stewards of everything that God has provided. 
And then our attitude is not one of ownership. This is mine. But this is mine to use for God's kingdom good. So when we look at all of our stuff, it's easy for us to sort of go like, it's mine. But if I say, it's not mine, I am a steward. And Jesus uses these examples throughout the the New Testament. He continuously tells stories about stewards and what stewards were supposed to do. And a steward wouldn't go, well, that's mine. I can do what I want with it. It would be like, no, what what would the boss want me to do? What would the one who's leading this want me to do? for his benefit. And it's the same for us. When we think about it, it's like, what can I do here for God's kingdom glory? So when Brenda and I were young and we weren't making a lot of money, um, we were pastoring. And I'll tell you, if you want to go into ministry, don't do it for the money. It's not worth it, honestly. Uh, Not that we're, please don't hear me say I'm complaining, in any way, shape, or form, God provides and has over the years, even when we had little. But when we were younger, we had, we had, I, I'll be honest, we had trouble giving. Because like we, were, we felt like we were barely paying our bills. How do we keep living? Like, you know, we start to have kids, and we were making just a, bit, a little bit of money, and we were like, how do we pay our bills and give? And God convicted us say, you need to give to me first. Maybe you've heard this before, and you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So here's what I would say to you. If you're, have, if you're struggling with giving, I just want you to start. I've, talked to, I've had, met with lots of people, like, I just can't afford to give. I said, can you give $5 a week? You spend more than that on a coffee, depending on what kind of coffee you get. I'm a cheap coffee drinker, so mine's like three. But yours might be six or seven. But just start. The idea here is begin. So if you say, I've never given before. Pastor Reg, I don't know what that's. Then begin to give. Begin to give something. For us, we started with just, it was like $20. And I'm so grateful as life has changed. I mean, we don't have kids at home. And I look at this particular season of life that we're in, that we can actually give more. And instead of saying, this isn't mine, I'm being a steward and saying, God, how do I invest this? So we give to multiply. Uh, we support compassion. So we have kids in Thailand that we, that we care for. We support food for the hungry. And there's a child that we try to bless him and his, uh, his uh, town in Africa. But we've just, that's giving. And then our, our fundamental giving for Brenda and I is to give to our local church. And so that's the, when, when I get my paycheck, that's the first thing that I send. It goes, I don't even look at bills, I look at that and say, I'm going to give. And I do that simply to say, I want to be a good steward. David's attitude in this text is saying, how, how can I be a good steward of what I have? How do I look at my stuff and run it through the grid of what does God say about our stuff? That our wealth is given by God and that we need to allow him to help us to know how to manage and use it for his kingdom's good. Now, for some of you, this may be old news. For some of you, it might be new. And I would encourage you to ask God to guide you and to lead you in this area. Finally, the the last attitude I want to pick up, and then we're going to go to the, the next section, is our attitude toward God's will. David is talking about what is what is God's will in verses seven and eight. 
So he talks about the counsel of God. He talks about the instruction of God, keeping his eyes on God, and knowing that when he does that, he's not going to be shaken. So his attitude toward God's will is that as he's moving along this path, when times are hard, God is present. I don't know about you, when I read this, you know, God counsels me, he instructs me at night. Now that kind of comes across like, oh, yeah, he instructs him at night. It's like, uh, do you realize what he's saying? I can't sleep. Do you ever have that happen to you? Where you're feeling stressed and tense and ugh. Uh, for me, it's like I can fall asleep like that. Unfortunately, two o'clock in the morning rolls around. And then, boom, I'm awake. Now, what, what do I do? And he's writing this. He's saying, I can't, I'm, even at night when I can't sleep, God is instructing my heart. And so his attitude toward God's will was, God, I need to continuously listen to you. Even when I don't know what to do, even when I'm stressed, I still turn to God and say, God, what am I supposed to do with this? Even when times are hard. Again, look at that particular word that's there. I will praise, notice it's the capital L-O-R-D, Yahweh. I will praise the God who sustains, the God who creates. That's the one that I will turn to. And he says, out of that, I'm not going to be shaken. When I keep my eyes on God, when I keep my focus where it needs to be, I won't be shaken. It doesn't mean life becomes easy. It just means that I know that there's something solid there, and it's called God, and he is present with me. Let's take a quick look at the last section. The path of life is found in verses 9 to 11. So in verse 9, I think David kind of gets to the heart of this miktam, which is he's putting down, this is the strength of my life after a difficult experience. And we see God's presence in difficult times in verse 9. Because of all of this stuff that's going on, verse 7 and 8, he says, therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices, my body also will rest secure. In the midst of difficult times, the path of life includes some hard times. If I were to sit down with you, I'd love to sit down with each of you and just say, tell me your story. Tell me your story. What's your story? And I guarantee you, there, nobody's going to sit here and say, my life has been a dream. Maybe been a nightmare at times. But it hasn't just been a dream. There's been things like, I struggle with this, I struggle with that, I, this has happened to me, that, like, this has been difficult, this, I found this really hard. And when we have these, here are stories, we recognize that God is with us in the difficult times. Notice the things that he says here. I'm just going to pick up three words that David uses. He talks about his heart. And I would suggest that's his internal place. So you have these, the place of your thoughts you're processing, and he says in, there's joy in the midst of this. He has joy in his heart. In the midst of hardship, there's joy. Not happiness. Joy is a totally different thing. It's a deep contentedness is what joy is. He talks about his tongue, and I would suggest to us that this is his external response. How does he talk about God when life is hard? And it's not to say he's denying this, the hardship. He's just saying, this is hard. God is here. This is hard. I don't know how to process it. I'm waiting for God to help me. 
It's living in that dependence. But he's expressing it outwardly. And so that's why he's writing Psalm 16 for us today, for us to explore with him. And finally, he says the body. So that's the present physical self. So there was the, when we look at his life experience, there was the risk of being killed, being put to death, losing everything that he had. And so he talks about, even my body will be secure. What, because David's great? No, because God is great. Then in verse 10, we see what is really a prophetic, a foretelling word. David has experienced a near-death event. And so here in verse 10, we see God's presence actually in Jesus. So David is saying, I've experienced a near-death event, yet we know that David died as an old man, as the king, but he died. And so there's a present fulfillment in the moment of this writing where he's saying, thank you, you've preserved my life from being taken by my son or by Saul we don't know exactly which, but saying thank you that you have preserved my life. But it is a foreshadow of Jesus. And that is why this psalm is also a messianic psalm, because it points us forward. So that's what's so beautiful about Scripture, is that it, it's, we live in the moment of the Scripture, of the text, but we also live in the future fulfillment of the text. And so this is pointing us. So let me explain to you how that happens. Peter, in his sermon on, uh, that happens at Pentecost, following the giving of the Spirit of God to Jesus' followers, in Acts chapter 2, verses 25 to 28, he quotes Psalm 16, verses 8 to 11. And he says basically those exact words, except they're from the Septuagint, so that's the Greek translation, not the Hebrew translation of this psalm. But then he goes on, and I want to give you then the context. So he says, here's this psalm that says, you have not abandoned me to the realm of death, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. So he's quoting this to all of the Jewish people. They would say, oh, that's talking about David. He's saying, no, 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 that's talking about Jesus. So let's look at the context. In Acts chapter 2, this is going to come up on the screen, 29 to 32, he says this, Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that, one, that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. David was this prophet foretelling Jesus. Jesus was a descendant of David. Go back and look through the genealogies and you'll see it. And Peter is saying to the people, look at this. David was telling us about what was going to happen to Jesus and not just what's basic, like Jesus was going to come to earth. No, no, no. He was saying this is even more important. The most important thing that you need to understand is that God sent Jesus to be resurrected. We make much, and we should, of the death of Christ. 
on our behalf. Absolutely. We need to say, yes, thank you, God. You died on my behalf for my sin. But I believe we need to hold just as high, if not higher, the resurrection of Christ. That's where life comes from. It's not just sort of like fire insurance. Yay, I'm out of danger. It's like, no, no. God wants to give us new life. One of the songs we sang talked about, and you have resurrected me. You know that when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, and you were made alive in Christ, which means your resurrection actually happens at salvation. Can I get an amen? Yeah, it happens at salvation. We know that our body is going to die, but we're going to be present with the Lord. So this text, as Peter is unpacking this, he's saying, hold on, Jesus was resurrected. God, you were faithful. And God raised Jesus to life. And Peter's saying, look at there's witnesses here. We've seen it. We've experienced it. We've, we've touched him. We've walked with him. We've seen him eat. He's alive. This, folks, is pivotal to our faith. The power of death was defeated in the resurrection of Jesus. Now all of those followers of Jesus don't need to fear death. But we live with the assurance of the resurrection power today and forever. Nicky Gumbel, in his devotional this morning, shared this story. In 1555, Nicholas Ridley, a former bishop of London, was burned at the stake in Oxford because of his beliefs in Jesus. On the night before Ridley's execution, his brother offered to remain with him in the prison chamber to be of assistance and comfort. Nicholas declined the offer and replied that he meant to go to bed and sleep quietly as ever he did in his life. Why? His confidence was in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's where our confidence needs to lie. Knowing the peace that comes with the destination, along with a path being known. Secondly, let me quickly give you this. Paul uses the same text. When he's preaching to the Jews in, in uh, Antioch, Pisidia, in Acts chapter 13, verse 35, he quotes Psalm 16, verse 10. So he also points to this particular psalm, and he quotes one verse. Now again, let me give you the context. What does he say after that? Because that's what's important. This is what he says about this psalm. In Acts 13, 36 and 37, he says, Now when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep, meaning he died. He was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. But the one whom God raised from the dead will not see decay. Paul is pointing about how Jesus is different than David, but also different than any other human being who's ever lived on earth. Paul is saying we need to pay attention to this. See, at creation, Adam and Eve were never to experience death. Do we understand that? Adam and Eve, when they were created, were never to experience physical, spiritual death. Yet, because of their choosing to go down a different path, their decision to disobey God led to death for all. 
And Paul unpacks that in Romans. God in his loving grace came to earth to overcome the power of sin which leads to death. Paul goes on in Acts chapter 13, two, it gives two more verses where he says this, Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from sin, a justification you were not able to obtain through the law of Moses. So Paul is lifting up Jesus and saying, the resurrected one who's spoken about in Psalm 16 is the one that you turn to for forgiveness of sins because he's the one who's died for your sins and then rose again to give you life. The early church pointed us to Psalm 16 to show the power of God through the resurrection of Jesus. The path here is following Jesus, walking with him, choosing, as Jesus would say, the narrow path and not the broad way. In closing, in verse 11, we see God's presence now and forever. He, David writes about, you've made known to me the path of life. And then he says, you'll fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. The destination for all who turn to God, who depend on Jesus' sacrifice for my sin, for your sin, is joy in God's presence now and forever, following the death of our earthly bodies. Now, there's much more I could say about that. There's much more that um, the commentators write about this. There's a whole other thing I could get into, and I'm not going to go there. But if you want, and you want to explore this more, I encourage you to go to the discussion questions, and you can use them personally, or you can use them uh, in a group. But just go to the discussion questions and just spend some time this week processing this. As we close, I want you to think about what now? What do we do with this text? Like we say, okay, this is, this is great. This is good work. This is good thinking. This is a good thing that David's written for us to explore. But as we land it this, this morning, as we land it today, I want you to think about what path are you choosing to walk today? I, I don't assume, as you and I are here, that we have chosen a particular path. I'm just asking you to, what path are you choosing? Every day, we get to choose what direction we want to walk. I mean, my heart for you all, including those of you watching online, would be that you would align your heart with God and decide to walk with Jesus. That would be my heart for you, because I know that's God's heart for you. What now? How are you living out of these five attitudes? Maybe you'd say, Pastor Reg, you spent way too much time on stuff that annoyed me this morning. And I'm like, my apologies, but the living word of God is what it is. And again, there could be much more said. But how are we living out of the five attitudes? Where is the Spirit encouraging you and me to take a step of faith today? Maybe there's one of those areas. Maybe, maybe I, I need to check how I talk about other people who are followers of Jesus. Maybe I need to, I need to check about how I hold on to my stuff. I don't know what it is for you. But just ask yourself. In a minute, we're going to just we're going to pray quietly and just ask the Spirit of God to lead you. What, what is my attitude? Is there one of those, God, that you're pointing out to me this morning and saying, what are you going to do with that? Are you going to walk with me? Are you going to choose this path? And finally, 
I want to close with that the path of life is the security of being with God forever. And every single person on this earth is looking for security. And we live in an uncertain world if we look at world events. Security is found, as David tells us over and over again throughout this psalm, our security is found in our dependence on God. Let's pray together. Call on the team. Father, as we have looked at this, we just are so grateful that you have shown us through the life of David and then pointing forward to Jesus, you have shown us how we can depend on you. David did. And Lord, you met him. Even when he chose paths on day, particular days that weren't focused on you. He was not perfect and neither are we. Lord, we thank you that you draw us toward yourself. And I, I pray this morning that if there are people in this room or watching online today or into the future, Lord, I pray that they would be drawn toward you. That if they've walked away from you, Father, that they would hear your heart's cry calling them back. Calling them to new life. Thank you that your resurrection gives us life to live out every day. These five attitudes to live out of dependence on you, even when life is hard. Guide us, we pray. Speak to our hearts this morning. I invite you just for a moment or two, just to be quiet before the Lord, just to listen, not to my voice, but to his. Let's just take about 15 or 20 seconds before we sing together.